People deluded, I'm back again. Thank you very much for tuning back into another edition of the Deluded Podcast. We're back, we're back, we're back after the international break. Like I said, I hope you're all well and safe. Before we begin, make sure you know you're following me across all socials. You're following on Spotify, you're following on Apple, you're following on Google, you're following on YouTube, you're following on Instagram and the rest of it, people. Make sure you've got all the notifications, the follow buttons, the subscription buttons and all the rest of it sorted out, people. You don't want to miss out and I know a lot of you have. Now, it's been a minute since we've done a DG podcast. I say a minute, it's been a couple of days. There hasn't been too much to speak about. I'm not going to go in depth, but there's been a bunch of international football. You know, every England game, Jack Grealish enhances his reputation as an Arsenal fan. If you've been watching the last three England games that Saka is featured in, he's given a good account of himself. And although it's disappointing for England, obviously, um, to miss out on... um, on the final final stages or final phases of the UEFA Nations League and the game against Iceland was obviously just just due to pride and whatnot. We was playing for pride. But it is what it is, man. I think we was by Southgate standards, of course, and with all due respect to Iceland, you would expect him to be a bit more expansive. I felt there was expansion there. I think players played well. Obviously it was lovely to obviously see Folden and, and Rice and all of these people score. Apparently Since 1883, in the very first days of international football, um, not since since 1883, apologies, had three players aged 21 or younger managed to score in a senior England game. With um and also on that note, with with Declan Rice, Mason Mount, and Phil Folden obviously scoring, they follow in the footsteps of William Cobhold, Oliver Waitley, Waitley. And Frank Pawson, who all got on the score sheet against Ireland 137 years ago. With Bakayo Saka also starting, it meant that England fielded 14, four players, apologies, under 22, under the age of 22 for the first time since 1959, people, against Northern Ireland. So the youth will set us free. There's a lot of youth coming on the cusp of things, you know. You've got Eunice Musso, who's at America right now, but I hope he'll come back. You know, you've got... Jude Bellingham coming through and made his international debut. You got Jamal, you got um, Jamal Musiala at Bayern Munich. You know you've got Angel Gomez, Marcus Edwards, Noni Maduke. You've got players. You know there's English players, whether they make it or not. You know there's players we've got to keep on our radar, kicking on the door. Would have been lovely if England could have persuaded Haaland and Reyna to sign for us, having both been born in England or of English descent due to their fathers being professional footballers. So, yeah, man, obviously France have had mixed games. They've batted a couple of teams and they had a shock result against against um, Finland. I'd say the shock, obviously, and I don't want to delve into it, but, you know, going into the Euros, it's based on their last game. It should be concerning for Germany as they lost, or as you saw them lose 6-0 to Spain. That was a shocker, people. I could not have foresaw that happening. You know, it's it's the end of the international break, people. And depending on what your team um, plays like tomorrow and Sunday, you know, and gets a final result. You might wish the international break never ended, but I'm sure a lot of you are happy that the Premier League's back. There's still a lot of football to be played. As an Arsenal fan, our next three games are against three very good tacticians. You know, you've got um, right now we've got to deal with the threat of Bielsa. Then you've got Nuno of Wolves, and you've got our arch enemy in Jose Mourinho and Spurs in a North London derby. So the games are coming thick and fast. So let's get into the Premier League preview now. Newcastle welcome Chelsea to their place. Chelsea need to get three points. You know, Chelsea are fifth, 15 points. A win, you know, could make them move ground and put um, get further, closer and closer to um, 
to I'd say Liverpool and Spurs in second and third respectively because you look at it Liverpool are playing top of the table Leicester Spurs are playing City so you've got to be cautious as to when you can take points even for my club Arsenal you know us and City have 12 points I'm not saying Arsenal are going to win the league but we're only six points off the top so if you aim for the top you should fall amongst the stars the stars being the top four now mathematically obviously we can't get into the top four this week but you need to put a run together so I'm sure Chelsea want to do it and Chelsea are fifth Newcastle United are 13th I'm sure they'll have all bits of confidence going into it I wouldn't I don't think form's gone out the window but with the international break you've a lot of teams all teams have kind of lost that momentum sort of thing so form might not be as irrelevant as you lot as you as you lot know people um, Newcastle won this fixture last year former Arsenal player Isaac Hayden striking in the 90th minute people so as I said they won this exact fixture last season Newcastle have lost just one of their last seven Premier League home games against Chelsea winning five and drawing one so that's something for Lampard and, and Chelsea's men to go and put right that's almost a hoodoo of sorts um and whatnot. I see that Havertz is back in training after testing positive for Corona, so we'll have to see what happens in that regard. In that regards as well, apparently Chelsea have won five of their last seven Premier League meetings with Newcastle, losing two, though the Blues have only managed to keep one clean sheet in this run, which was a 1-0 victory at Stamford Bridge last season. So this could be, you know, the hidden surprise of the game, uh, uh, game of the week, people. We might be focusing on Leicester and Liverpool, Definitely Spurs and City. This might be the one that throws up game goals and whatnot, people. Newcastle have won two of their last three Premier League home games, people. As many as they had in their previous 11 at St. James's Park. The Magpies are obviously looking to pick up consecutive home league wins for the first time since December last year. Chelsea are unbeaten in six Premier League games, winning three, drawing three. Only Spurs are on a longer such run in the competition with seven. In addition to that, Chelsea have netted at least three goals in five of those six games and failing to score in the other. No team has had fewer shots in the Premier League this season than Newcastle with 64. <laughs> Somebody shoots less than Arsenal? Mazza. Um, however, on that note, the Magpies have scored 10 goals, giving them a shot conversion rate of 15.6%, their highest on record in a single top flight campaign since 1997-1998 so that's probably an interesting game you've got Aston Villa against Brighton that's going to be a good one for the neutrals in my opinion Aston Villa are performing above expectations Brighton are obviously trying to further cement Premier League status Aston Villa are unbeaten in their in their last eight league meetings with Brighton since a 1-0 defeat in December 1980 Brighton have never won away against Aston Villa in all competitions, drawing three and losing nine in their last 12 games, people. Um, Aston Villa have won five of their seven Premier League games so far this season, have also netted 18 goals. Um, so that, you know, as you lot know already, individuals are playing well, McGinn's playing well, Douglas Ruiz, you know, there's a lot of talk going back to Man City even in January. You know, Jack Grealish, do I need to, you know, club and country, do I need to update you on the noise he's making? Even Ross Barkley, there's talk of an England shout. And Aston Villa should be full of confidence, you know. They they should be. They should pick up where they left off after the international break, before the international break, sorry, and continue what they're doing. Brighton need to win as they're winless in their last six Premier League games, people losing free and drawing free. They need to pattern up. But, you know, if, if you were going to bet on whether they'd pick three points up away, away from home or at home, 
I'm sure Brighton fans have got, got more confidence travelling to Birmingham because even though that run's been poor, 12 of their last 15 Premier League points have been won in away games. So, you know, can they get something away from home and obviously pos and come back on a positive basis? You know, you've also got Wolves versus Southampton. Southampton have been performing well this season, in my opinion. Wolves have obviously, you know, Wolves under Nuno are, are obviously just going to keep getting better and better and look to push on to Europe. Um... I think Wolves will win this, but you can't underestimate Southampton and their and their form. Wolves have won, have lost just one of their last eight Premier League meetings with Southampton. Southampton haven't won any of their last four league games against Wolves, so you know Ward Prowse might have something to say about that. Wolves, however, are yet to score more than twice in a Premier League game so far this season. Only in addition to them, only Burnley and Sheffield United are the other teams to yet to do so. Southampton are looking to win four consecutive Premier League games for the first time since May 2016. And similar to, to a couple other clubs, you know, only Spurs can, can boast a better winning run than Southampton at the moment. You know, Spurs have, have seven, Southampton have six. So they should have every bit of confidence travelling travelling to Wolverhampton and the Molyneux and seeing what they can what they can do, man. Wolves have kept more Premier League clean sheets than any other side so far in 2020 with 13. However, they've only won two of their last 13 games in which they've conceded so far this calendar year, winning none of their five at home. So if you score against them, you're more likely to win. Dave, apologies for my alarm, which I'm I'm up, so I don't know why, why it's doing that, but apologies, people. But as I said, you know, if you take the lead against them, you might struggle, um... I mean, they might struggle, so they've done what they needed to do in that regard. And that's going to be an interesting clash for the neutrals, man. You've got Burnley against Crystal Palace. The pressure is firmly on Sean Dykes and his Burnley side. They look candidates to get relegated. Burnley have won their last. They won their last Premier League meeting with Crystal Palace in June. It was a one nil. Was a one nil victory and that ended a run of four straight league defeats against Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace have won three and lost two of their last five away games against Burnley. Turf Moor is just one of three away grounds Crystal Palace have visited at least five times in the Premier League where they've won more than they've lost so Palace should have confidence, Roy Hodgson should have confidence provided they do what they need to do. Burnley are winless in their seven Premier League games so far this season, losing five and drawing two. They've lost all three at home. They've failed, they've not failed to win any of their opening eight games to a league campaign since 2014-15. They've never lost their first four at Turf Moor in the season. So there's a bit of negative history for Burnley players to be a part of if they don't get their act together and they don't fix up. You know, Crystal Palace, you know, they should... I know the international bait was a while ago, but they're coming off the back of a 4-1 4-1 victory over Leeds they killed Leeds they destroyed Leeds and Leeds are probably going to be angry when they play Arsenal but Palace should have a lot of confidence you know Palace have won four of their eight Premier League games so far this season which is as many as they had in their final 19 of 2019-20 the Eagles have netted plus three goals in two of their eight league games this season having failed to do so once last season so they're shooting better they're scoring more and they're doing more damage ultimately Burnley have scored fewer goals, three, and had fewer shots on target, 19, than any other Premier League side so far this season. While they're the only side yet to find the net at home so far in 2021. 20, and, you know, maybe the, the Burnley fans not being at the stadium is, is helping them because you can imagine the discontent and things like that, people. 
if this run continued. Speaking of poor sides, you've got Sheffield United who sit rock bottom in the Premier League, just have a single point against West Ham who sit 12th people. You know, the form guide isn't kind to South to Sheffield United. They can't buy a win at the moment. Relegation is a real possibility. Like Burnley, there's a lot of pressure on the manager. If it wasn't Chris Wilder and he wasn't, you know, a Yorkshire man and embodied everything Sheffield United's about, there might be more pressure on his position. I don't want Sheffield United to go down, but having gained so much plaudits last season, they seem to be struggling this year. And as I said, you know, real big possibility of going down. You know, Sheffield United have become just the fifth team in Premier League history to pick up just one point in their first eight games of the season. Though the two two of the previous four have survived the drop. Southampton and Southampton in 98-99 and Sunderland in 2013-14. Only in 1990-91 have the, have the Blades ever failed to win any of their first nine in a league season. So like I said, fighting relegation. However, you know, Sheffield have been poor, but Sheffield have won all three of their Premier League home games against West Ham, their best such record in the league. So, you know, if they're going to pick up three points and their season is going to get off to a start, it's against West Ham. And you ho and I guess you hope if you're Chris Wilder, come the end of the game, you know, you're on four points and you still be in the relegation race and firmly bottom, but it's something to move with, you know. Obviously, West Ham don't travel to Yorkshire well against Sheffield United because in all comps, West Ham are winless in their fight in their last three away games, people. You know, you have to go back to 2004 for the last time they won. However, you know, West Ham are unbeaten in their last 11 Premier League games against sides starting the day bottom, winning their last four in a row by an aggregate score of 13-4. to Their last defeat was against Leicester in 2015. London sides are winless in their last 11 Premier League visits to Sheffield United at Bramall Lane since Chelsea won 2-0 in October 2016. I'm not too sure if that's right because didn't we win at Sheffield United this season? I'm not too sure if that's if that's if that makes sense people because I'm sure we won at we won this season at, Sheff at Sheffield United. In fact, let me type that in because Opta's probably telling fibs there. Arsenal Premier League. I could even be wrong, people, but I'm sure we've... Did Pepe not score in that game? Or was that at home? I could even be wrong and I apologise. Yeah, it was at home. So apologies. Apologies. Yeah, man. Shouldn't doubt up to her, I guess. Never do that again. But it is what it is in that regards, people. So... Yeah, man, people don't travel to Yorkshire well, as you know. Um, so we'll have to see what happens in that game. Fulham need to win and they welcome Everton. You know, Everton prior to the break were on a run of three back-to-back -back defeats. Um, and Fulham, for me, regardless, will go down. But they've got to put up a bit of fighting, a bit of a fight, man. Just make more of a meal of it. Like, don't just... They seem resigned to defeat in every game. It's just pure calamity. January couldn't come quick enough, probably, for Scott Parker. Probably asks a couple of Premier League teams, can we get people alone? Like, for me, you know... Probably needs to play to a higher level, but you look at Tomori. He hasn't been called up for 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 England because he's not playing for he's not playing for for Chelsea. You know, I'd look to try and get Tomori on loan for a couple of months if I'm Fulham. He wouldn't have to move too far, and there's things like that. Even come back in for Callum Chambers at Arsenal or go for Socrates. You're gonna have to do something like because your defenders aren't good enough. And I'm not saying the names I said are world beaters, but it's poor people. You know, after conceding 10 goals in their first Premier League games this season, Fulham have now shipped just five in their last five in the competition. And obviously, they won 2-0 against West Brom, so they've picked up some positives. Everton have won their last two Premier League games in London, which is as many as they had in their previous 26, so they should be full of confidence. Of all Premier League fixtures to have been played on more than 10 occasions, 
Fulham versus Everton has seen the highest percentage of home wins, with 23 of the 28 meetings between the two being won by the home side, which stands at 82%. So that might be a positive omen for Fulham and Fulham fans. Everton have only failed to score in one of their last nine Premier League meetings with, with Fulham, though it was such last match against them in April 2019. They lost 2-0. Um, Fulham won their last match, as I said, 2-0 in April 2019, which ended a run of 10 league games without a win against the Toffees, prior to which they lost 8 and drawed 2. It was also Scott Parker's first victory as a manager in the competition. So... Yeah, man, he has positive times playing against Everton. But you'd imagine Carlo Ancelotti's men put them to the sword. Now, on the face of this, and I think Man United will win. This looks like a casual day, but Manchester United versus West Brom historically, you know, United typically win, but it's always a crazy one. Like, you remember one of Alex Ferguson's last ones, he played quite well. If I remember cor correctly, Lukaku scored a couple goals. So it's always an up and down game. And West Brom can't buy a win, you know, shockers can happen, you know, you've seen Palace and Arsenal win at Manchester United already this season, hopefully West Brom can do the same, but I can't look anything beyond a United win personally, a convincing United win, I just don't think West Brom have enough to beat them, but again, football isn't won on paper. But, you know, United haven't even won at home this season properly yet, man. Like, convincingly in a Man United fashion. Apparently, Manchester United are winless in their last four Premier League home matches so far this season. While they're winless in their last six at home, overruling the competition. They last failed to win any of their first five at home in a league. Fa in a league. You'd have to go back to 1972, people, um, which is crazy. Manchester United have also conceded more home goals than any other side in the Premier League, which stands at 10. The Red Devils have lost three home games already, only losing more in two Premier League campaigns. They lost seven in 2013-14 and six in 2001-2002. Manchester United have failed to score in three of their last four home league games against West Brom, as many as, many as in their previous 53 such games against them. The Reds have failed to score in their last two against West Brom at home, last going three in a row without scoring at Old Trafford versus an opponent against Arsenal in September 1982. They failed to score this season against us as we took three points. Let's not forget, I had to do it, Man United fans. Um, West Brom have won three of their last five away league games against Manchester United, drawing one, losing one. And obviously 2018, they won 1-0. They won um, the Baggies had just one of their had won just one of their last thirty one league visits to Manchester United prior to this run. Manchester United haven't lost consecutive league games against West Brom since nineteen eighty, um, December that year, with the Baggies winning their last Premier League encounter with United one goal to nil in twenty eighteen. Once again, for those that didn't hear, people. So we're getting closer and closer to the more, to the other games, people. And, you know, let's stop off with Leicester versus Liverpool. First versus third. Liverpool have it all to do. They've got a bag of injuries, you know. You see Van Dijk apparently is beginning the next stage of his rehab. He's had a little knock. Um, obviously, Robertson's had a little knock over this break. You know, um, Joe Gomez is now out. Trent is now out. Even young Reese Williams. Apparently Henderson. There's a bag of people, you know. And, you know, you look at Alisson, Matip and Fabinho. They've all had little knocks and, and stuff. You've obviously got Oxlade out as well. Liverpool's squad is firmly being tested. And I think, you know, with... I do think it's a bit of unnecessary internationals, a, a, a quick turnaround in terms of games and a poor pre-season contributing to a lot of injuries. But I think this highlights, f for football fans especially, 
just how bad you need a squad like Liverpool, you know, you can't underestimate keeping the same side together and, and, and stuff like that. But you've always said for Liverpool to kick on to that next level or to get up a gear, they need to get depth. And you can tell Klopp knows that he's tried to sign Fakir. He's tried to go for um, Werner to give them other options. He's brought in Yota. You know, you can see why they need another centre-half or two. They sold Lovren. Not that I'm saying Lovren shouldn't have went, but you're seeing it. Obviously, the goalkeeping situation, you can never underestimate having a competent number two. And it's almost of no relevance to this. But you can see how if Alisson isn't there, you know, they've previously had Mignolet and Carrison and... Carrier's apologies, and you've obviously got Adrian stealing a living in their goal when when Alice isn't fit. So I think this is telling Liverpool's board of directors apologies for burping that they need to improve the depth because a couple of injuries they're a madness. And for me, I've I've been saying it, and I'm going to keep saying it consistently. This will be more impressive for me, not in terms of points, not not disregarding the fact that Klopp delivered the first Premier League title within 30 years. You know, all of that means last year was better. But if he manages to stay to keep hold of this Premier League, you know, I'll be more impressed because his players are dropping like flies. Who? They, what team is he going to put out? He's lost Henderson, which, you know, we can just look at him as a midfielder. But also you have to remember the sort of, you know, the leadership qualities Henderson has. Of course, you could throw Milner in there or Milner's probably a candidate to go right back at this moment in time. Um, so we'll have to see what Klopp's doing, but their backs are against the wall and they're going to have to do it. You know, they've still got Mane fit. Uh, they're going to be without Mohamed Salah, I assume, obviously testing positive for COVID. So they've got it all to do. God knows what team Liverpool are going to put out there. You know, Leicester, like everybody, Leicester's been a, a mixed bag. I think like last year, they've started the season well. Like if I was to ask any fans who's 100% happy with their season right now, I'd say Southampton, Leicester, they're probably there as well. Aston Villa, probably Liverpool as well, away from the injuries. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure Leicester are trying to get top four. It's going to be a big clash. You know, Leicester have slapped a lot of teams, but they've also been slapped this season. They've slapped somebody 4-1. They've been slapped 4-1. They beat us 3-0. So it's going to... I hope it's an interesting open, open encounter. You know, I want to see how Leicester play. Are they going to play like how they did against Arsenal and City or are they going to be out there from the front foot and try and capitalise on an understrength Liverpool team and Liverpool players are going to have to pull together and I will say this you know there's opportunities for squad players you know I don't know if Minamino is going to start but he's someone that was brought in hasn't had too much of a look in you get an opportunity show Klopp you can be used is it Tamis Kass the young Greek left back um, they bought who's second choice and always going to be deputy to Robertson but if Robertson cannot play you know go and show your levels because you're not going to have too many opportunities for that so Liverpool have it all to do Liverpool for what it's worth are unbeaten in their last nine home Premier League games against Leicester winning seven and drawing two having lost three in a row between um, at Anfield between 97 1997 and 2000 Leicester have won just two of their last 16 Premier League meetings with Liverpool and are without a win in six against them since a 3-1 victory at the King Power Stadium in 2017 Liverpool are unbeaten in their last 63 home Premier League meetings. Their joint longest such run without defeat at home in the in the top flight, people. You know, Liverpool have kept just one clean sheet in their last 13 Premier League games, people. Conceding each of their last six at home in the competition. Only West Brom and Leeds have a, have a worse conceding record. And to be fair, a lot of that can be attributed to injuries and whatnot. But, you know, that shouldn't, that shouldn't, Leicester should go there and genuinely have the belief they can get three points at Anfield, really, and do something not too many teams have done this season. It's been a crazy year and Liverpool are going to have it all to do. Um, I think it will be a 2-2 draw, but... Um, I, 
who knows, man? I think Brendan and obviously Brendan Rodgers, former Liverpool man, you're always going to have the bit between your teeth managing or playing against a former club. So I think that's going to be an interesting game. And that's one of the highlights for me, people. Um, obviously, not saving the best till last, but saving the best till second last. You've got Leeds versus Arsenal and both teams can barely defend. The way Leeds have been playing, you you know, I'm sure many fans are hoping for an exciting clash for an open encounter. You know, both teams are susceptible on the transition. I'm expecting a lot of that. I'm having nightmares about Bielsa people, purely because as much as I feel against Aston Villa and against Leicester at home, I know we're not playing at home. The boys threw it away. They lost their individual battles, man to a man. Everybody did. Not too many players looked good, you know. But I think our manager, as much as I back Arteta, he lost the battle tactically in-game and reacting to it, you know. The other managers were proactive. I'm seeing Leicester's backs were against the wall. They're bringing on subs before us. I think he lost that against Brendan Rodgers. He lost that against Dean Smith. So you're going against a master tactician in Bielsa now who had Pep begging for a point. You're going to need to be at your full game. And Mikel Arteta is probably bound to have spoken to Pep over the international period in relation to that game. And they're obviously friends. So he And, and I'm sure, you know, Pep is a disciple of Biel. So he bigs, he bigs him up and stuff. So Arteta knows full well the, the, what he's expect. You know, Leeds are very susceptible. They're quite open. You know, they concede a lot of goals, you know, and whatnot. But they've got problem players, you know. They've got... Calvin Phillips is fit, um, Klitsch is fit, you know, Alioski works hard, they've got a bunch of people that work hard, Jack Harrison with his early deliveries can present a, a problem, Patrick Bamford has started the season well, I think only what Vardy, Calvert-Lewin, Salah and these sort of players have scored more than him and you know, to be fair, if you're a player, striker for Leeds, you wouldn't, not that you want to be behind anyone, but you'd accept that, so we're going against Leeds and Leeds are going to be on the giant killing, if Leeds lose, there's no problem, if Arsenal lose, considering you know, we lost before the international break. It's more pressure on these boys and it's definitely more pressure considering the run of games we've got to the end of the season. You know, like I said, they're very open and I've seen the news today. Thomas Partey hasn't recovered from his injury, allegedly. So who do we play in midfield? It's almost back to Xhaka and Sabayo sort of thing, people. By byproduct sort of thing. So we're gonna have to see people. It's gonna be an open it's gonna be an open game. Leeds are winless in their last seven meetings against Arsenal in all comps. The last time they won was in two thousand and three, a three two victory at Highbury. I actually remember that. Um Arsenal are unbeaten in their last five away games against Leeds in all comps since losing one nil in December two thousand. We've actually won such fifteen four if it was an aggregate scoreline. Arsenal have won nine of their last 11 Premier League games in Yorkshire. However, I'm sure those of you remember the last time we played in Yorkshire in October 2019, we dropped points. Um, going into the weekend's game, no side has conceded more goals than Leeds with 17. So again, I want to see Arsenal attack them. I want to see have shots. Um, I don't think the formation will change. I think we'll still see five at the back, but the intention needs to change. The invention, free up the shackles in our creative players. You know, we're not going to have Partey. We're not going to have El Nene. So that handbrake isn't going to be there. So again, I still want to go five at the back for this game. Um, I don't know how long Arteta's had to train the boys, but he might go for broke. You know, it's probably going to be Xhaka and Ceballos in that regards. So we're going to have to see. I hope I hope Thomas Partey wins the battle to be fit. You know, papers and, art and, and journalists and things don't always know when they do get things wrong. So hopefully there's something positive in that regards. But I mean, who knows?
So we'll have to see, people. That was rather depressing, man. I took a apologies, people. I forgot I was on a podcast and I was seeing flashbacks of the goals I've seen against Leeds. And for me, I look at the big games because, yeah, you can look at it. Leeds have conceded eight goals in their last two games, scoring two, conceding eight. As I've said, they've got washed 4-1 in both games. But you look at the Liverpool game, they let themselves down defensively, but they gave Liverpool nightmares. The same goes for City. You know, they lost against Leicester. So, I mean, yeah, they did they lose against Leicester? They did, yeah, they lost against Leicester. But in... Out of the three games, the only game that they were poor on was Le- was Leicester. And if you can, you know, getting battered by Leicester, it is what it is. If you can give lead, um, Liverpool and, Man- and Manchester City problems, then Bielsa's men should be there like, yo, we can beat Arsenal. This is the reason we got promoted, to beat these sort of teams, to play against these teams. Obviously, a lot, you know, the Bamfords, the Calvin Phillips and these players, the... the the better you play against these sort of top six, top eight teams, you know, the more plaudits you gain as well. So Leeds should be fearless. I want to see Arsenal free up the creative shackles. Leeds should be fearless playing against us because we've got more to lose. Obviously, when you look at the weekend, probably the one standout fixture is Spurs. Tottenham Hotspur welcome Manchester City. I actually think Spurs will win this. I hope City win, but I actually think Spurs will win this. Now, you know Pep Guardiola has signed a new deal. You know, I'm sure he wants to... Mark that in the right way, signing a new two-year deal, which we'll get onto in a bit. Jose Mourinho's men have been scoring a lot of goals, been playing quite well. The only thing you look at, they do struggle to really break down teams and they do make, whether they've won, lost or drawn, they do make games harder than it needs to be. You look at the West Ham game, they couldn't shut that out. The draw against Newcastle, VAR was centred around it, but they made it harder than it had to be. West Brom, they got three points, harder than it needed to be. They do kind of struggle in that regards to really consistently break down teams their defence isn't the best. And if your defence isn't the best, City are there. You know, for the City will 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 we'll see them there for the taking and savage them. That being said, City, obviously, for me, when I look at City, they're not as aggressive. They can see a bit more space. You know, they're not as tactically sound as I used to, as they used to be. So it, it I can see both teams winning, man. Obviously, I remember the Champions League clash. I think Spurs went through. You know, hopefully Pep Guardiola's learned his lessons. Statistically, only Chelsea have only against Chelsea have Manchester City lost more Premier League games than they have um, against Spurs. So again, Spurs should believe they can get something out of it. Spurs won this fixture 2-0 last season, which ended a run of six Premier League games without a win against Man City, where they drew two and they lost four. Spurs won both of their meetings with Man City at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in, in, in all competitions, last winning three home games in a row against them between 05 and 09, a run of six. Spurs have only lost two of their last 20 Premier League games against Man City when above them in the table, people. the lot. Um, so, yeah, Spurs should... There's many statistics begging up, bigging up Spurs and giving them confidence that they can get a result, you know. Liverpool and, and City are dropping points like everyone, but, you know, one of them, these teams needs to mount a run of consistency and form and, you know, maybe that's going to be City. You know, again, I don't want Spurs to win the league and it looks like a bit of a crazy season, but it is what it is. And again, you have to give credit where due for Spurs. Following the opening weekend defeat against Everton, Spurs are now on their longest current unbeaten run in the Premier League, as I've been saying, um, winning seven I mean, um, with seven games, you know, they've drawn two, they've won five. Spurs are obviously looking to win four consecutive league games for the first time since 2019 in February um, when they were managed by Pochettino. And that 5.30 kickoff, you know, for me is, is the standout, you know. For me, obviously, Arsenal versus Leeds is a good one. For the neutral, that's probably a good one. Spurs versus Man City is obviously one as well. Um, 
Liverpool versus Leicester. I think I think Man United, West Brom underrated. I think that one there will be an inter interesting clash for everybody involved. So we'll have to see what happens in that regards, people. We really will. We'll have to see. Um, moving away from that, as I said, Pep Guardiola apparently has signed a new two-year deal that will see him remain at Manchester City until the summer of 2023 at least. Now, again, people can can move on but you know he's of the right age he's only 49 he's won two premier league titles he's won the fa cup and he's won three league league trophies since arriving there they need confirmation i did think pep guardiola might walk this depending on how it happened this season you know he's been at city a long time the longest he's been at in any managerial period you know you can't take anything away from pep guardiola he's still one of the greatest if not the greatest manager give or take i'm not saying he is but he's in that conversation he's revolutionized the game he's done what he's needed to do you know i don't really like comments of checkbook manager and things like that but you can't argue against them. I'm not saying he has to manage Leighton Orient and, and do a football manager and get them playing in the Champions League to be seen as a certain manager. My point is, and he clearly does develop players, over the last two years, I haven't really seen like notable development. Yeah, I can look at Sterling and players like that, but Gab has, and these players have to take responsibility, but Gab Jesus doesn't look amazing. John Stone's stagnating, you know. Angelo, you got rid of him very quickly. Cancelo's had mixed success. I haven't really been seeing anything with, with City in that regard, people. Ferran Torres starting off well on that, but um, I haven't really been seeing the development. I haven't really been seeing the team improve. They have stagnated and, you know, Pep Guardiola's overcomplicated things, specifically mainly in Europe, um, as to why they don't look closer to the Champions League. So, you know, and his credibility, not that anyone can take anything away, like I said, but his credibility and his reputation is probably taking the biggest hit in this last year. And he had, there's no smoke without fire. He lost the league by 20 points. Has he still got the fire and desire to hit back and try and, you know, Eclipse Liverpool to the trophy this year, do better in the Champions League, signing a new two-year deal, you'd imagine so. So we'll, it'll be. I'm keen to see what happens in that regard. Because like I said, he's still only 49. In management terms, that's a baby. And for me, you know, I guess it helps Man City confirm the long-term futures of their players. Like there's talk of Raheem Sterling, Gab Jesus and Kevin De Bruyne are all signing new deals. So again, you probably want to know what the manager's doing. Football changes a lot, but you know, you committing your future tells your players that you're here for the long term and any perspective players, you know, there's been a lot of talk of Messi. Obviously, if Messi wants to leave, football is football and Pep Guardiola can leave at any time. But if he sees that, you know, City's confirmed his manager for two years, he thinks, OK, cool, I might come to City now. Do you get it, people? So we'll have to see, man. Only time will tell if he's able to hit back. And like I said, close the points gap of last season, put some respect on his name for the Champions League. Only time will tell. Speaking to the website, he said, ever since I arrived at Manchester City, I've been made to feel so welcome in the club and in the city itself from the players, staff, supporters, the people of Manchester and the owner and chairman. Since then, we have achieved a great deal together, scored goals, won games and trophies, and we're all proud of the success. Having that kind of support is the best thing any manager can have. I have everything I could possibly want to do my job well, and I am humbled by the confidence of the owner, chairman, Ferran and Tixie have shown in me and continue for the last two, for two more years after this season. The challenge for us is to continue improving and evolving, and I'm very excited and I about that and about helping Manchester City to do that. 
So, yeah, man, obviously the chairman, Manchester City's chairman, has said it is a testament to the qualities of a man that Pep Guardiola's passion and intelligent approach are now woven into the very fabric of football we play and our culture as a club. So, yeah, congratulations to Pep Guardiola. You know, it's still good for the league, him staying here. It's more talking points. I thought there was a good chance within the next two years we'd lose Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola in the sense of Klopp's done what he's needed to do. He's, he's spoken about rest. There's always talk of the German Germany job and, you know, maybe Klopp won't get it next year in the sense of he'll have to wait till after the Euros, but there's a World Cup, you know, at the end of the season, if they give you the job and say, you know what, pick your team, maybe Jurgen Klopp would, would take that, you know. One has to wonder how, is he going to try and do the Sykes Ferguson thing? You know, all the Arsene Wenger of being at Liverpool for a while, for a while, right now it's working. You know, I thought Poch would do that at Spurs, pardon me. Um, is Pep Guardiola going to do that at City? This is the longest period in his career he spent at a club. You know, you'd imagine, I actually think he'll leave within the next two years. But at the end of the day, who knows people? Who truly knows? Um, I'm sure a lot of you as well, I wanted to speak about this. I'm sure a lot of you feel as passionate about it as I do. I think the Premier League needs five substitutions. I think that should be a permanent fixture in the game. There's big squads now. I like the way the one rule football got is like, you know, the five subs, you had to use it in three goals. Obviously, the amount of injuries and the sheer squad rosters now, I think it gave more football to people and it gave managers more options and it helped to combat the injuries people are dropping like flies the Premier League need to revisit that and actually go down that route and, and whatnot and follow the EFL if those of you haven't been aware over this past week the EFL clubs have voted to allow teams five substitutes per game starting on Friday which is today sadly the Premier League will still continue with what they need to do championship clubs can name up to nine substitutes in their matchday squad with five permitted to get on the pitch in any fixture. League One and League Two clubs can name up to seven substitutes in their matchday squad with five permitted to take the pitch. Obviously, this was all agreed following consultation with clubs. The EFL board agreed to increase the permitted numbers of substitutes to, to five in all of the Skybet EFL fixtures taking place from November the 20th until the remainder of the 2020-21 season. So like I said, I hope the Premier League take a leaf out of such book people that is something we really need to do away from that though people and folks and i'm sure you've all seen wayne rooney he's he's currently coaching at derby he's confirmed his desire to take the job full time um and whatnot people he said i'm ambitious of course i want to go into management i wouldn't be an ambitious person if i was sat here and i and said i didn't want the job right now there's an opportunity for the four of us here to try and lead this team for however long that is it's an opportunity for us to show the different ideas we've got and get this team back on track it's been a strange week we have to say a big thank you to philip i've learned a lot in my first coaching rule here so yeah man it'd be key it's, it's worth that i'm at that weird stage in my life where a lot of retired footballers are becoming coaches and whatnot people rooney being some of them i remember when he played at 16 like um you know he's older than me but a debut at 16 Wonder Kid and all of that, and now you're a manager. It's crazy. And I know a lot of you older than me probably think a bit madder. And I know a lot of you away from that have seen a lot is being made of heading the ball in dementia and things. And Southgate is scared of dementia. Dementia runs in my family, so that's a thing I'm scared of. And a lot of know, I know a lot of you are. I know a lot of you sadly have family members that have that. And you know it can be very difficult to come to terms like it is very hard when someone that you've known for a significant part of your life and has nurtured you and helped you you know can sometimes not remember your name or be completely talking to you and not remembering your name and for me it's just seeing 
what someone used to be and what they are now. It's like just remembering what they used to be. It's very tough. So I sympathise with anyone who's going through that. Um, actually, lot know there's been a lot of tests and reports and surveys and the rest of it with linking dementia to heading the ball. And in America, kids don't head the ball. I actually wouldn't mind if that was introduced. I think that should look to be introduced at kids' level in England. You know, it, there could be more byproducts. You know, the ball will spend less time in the air. We'll see better technical footballers. You know, we might see less headed goals or less natural headers, like maybe things like Calvert-Lewin. That's a thing of the past. Or Duncan Ferguson and, and all of these sort of things. It's a thing of the past, but we'll have to see, man. But um, for what it's worth... St um, Bielik of West Bromwich Albion has said heading footballs in training should be stopped if it's if this is proven to be a link to dementia. He said, what solution they are going to find, I don't know. If they find out through the research, research that heading the ball 10 times during training is going to cause you dementia, dementia, then let's stop it. For me, the great thing is that they are talking about it and recognising it. And obviously, you've seen a lot of former England players fall victim to this and it's been upsetting and whatnot, people. Um, apparently, EFL clubs have agreed in principle a 50 million rescue package for clubs in League 1 and 2 people. So there is going to be a bailout for league football. So, you know, that didn't look like it was coming to terms, um, going to come to terms, but it has happened. Um, apparently, Rangers say they have accepted a seven game ban for players Jordan Jones and George Edmondson by the Scottish FA for Corona or better yet, COVID related breaches. Apparently, the pair attended a party after their size 1-0 Scottish Premier League win against Kilmarnock on November the 1st. Both were charged by the SFA and suspended by Rangers pending an investigation. The pair learned their punishment at an SFA hearing on Thursday. You know, it is it is stupid. You know, once 23, once 26, you're experienced players. You should have known not to take that risk. Just as human beings, don't put yourself and, co and other people at risk by compromising your health as a result of not listening to guidelines. You know, they're in a privileged position. They should act like it and they face all the music. And now, you know, so you're not going to be able to play for seven games. So how are you going to stay match fit? I don't know. Um, but it is what it is, people. Um, we might as well get into the gossip column, people, and speak about a couple of, you know, transfers and these things aren't that aren't going to happen, people. Apparently, Inter Milan and Real Madrid have stepped up their interest in Liverpool's 30-year-old Dutch midfielder, Wijnaldum. And again, I think he can talk to teams for free from January. You know, I can understand if Wijnaldum wants to experience something different. He's been in the Premier League for time. You know, he's done what he's needed to do at PSV. He's come to the Premier League. He's done what he's, he's played for a big club in Newcastle, faithful fans. He's gone to Liverpool. He's won, you know, he's won the two big... When you join a team like that, you know, they're going to tell you they're challenging for those trophies. And he's actually won it, you know. He's won the Champions League. He's won the Premier League. You know, he's 30. He could stay at Liverpool. But, you know, I couldn't begrudge him if he if a chance... To, to play in another league, you know, like an histor historical big club in Inter Milan or even Juventus who have been linked with him or for Real Madrid come for you, whether they're the Real Madrid of 10 years ago or whatever or Barcelona at 30 years of age, these aren't going to come again. And you played for a big club in Liverpool and Newcastle, you know, you want to, this is why you get into football to play for these clubs, to have them on the CV, to experience things. You don't want to look back and have regrets, you know, and I will say this, it's in Liverpool's best interest to keep you, but you're 30. What happens when Liverpool sign two other midfielders? You might get a pat on the back and, and, and credit for your services, but that's all it will go to. So he needs if he genuinely wants to stay at Liverpool, stay. If not, you need to leave. You know, you've seen a lot about Sergio Ramos's future at Real Madrid as well. And one minute they're going to offer him a new deal and then they're not and then they are and then they're not. 
Apparently they are, but a number of Premier League clubs are interested in signing the Spanish defender Sergio Ramos should he not renew his deal. He's been linked with Chelsea, continuously linked with Man United. Man United have also been linked for Varane. Apparently Real Madrid will move for Bayern Munich and Austria defender David Alaba regardless of, of whether Ramos leaves or not. Apparently Everton are considering a move for Manchester United and Wales winger Daniel James in January. I'm sure many Manchester United fans would not be against that departure, making a quick profit on him and keeping it moving, people, as, simp as simple as that. Looking at some other paper talk, apparently Arsenal missed out on Jota before his move to Atletico Madrid in 2016. Monaco youngster Anthony Musaba has revealed that the ideal idea for him playing for Manchester United in the Premier League is a dream. So he wants a move. Um, Manchester United have been warned that Pochettino may still consider the Barcelona job despite rejecting the La Liga Giants twice. Inter Milan have targeted N'Golo Kante um, with a move for Granit Xhaka now unlikely. Apparently, Barcelona are worried that Dembele will see out his contract and leave the club for nothing. You've seen that rumour. Apparently, he will go to Juventus on a free. Um, apparently, Sancho has told Dortmund he wants to return to the Premier League in 2021, which, again, Manchester United have been linked with the player. Uh, Benfica will be significantly weak for their... Europa League clash with Rangers next week because striker who's doing well in Uruguayan Darwin Nunes and Julian Weigel have both tested positive for coronavirus people. So it's a bit upsetting. But those are the news, the, the, the latest news doing the rounds. There isn't too much more to say on that. It's been a fantastic podcast. You know, the Premier League is back, people. You know, what can I say? Hopefully Arsenal can get three points. You know, it'd be lovely if Arsenal could get three points. Spurs and Chelsea and United could lose for bragging rights purposes and just, you know, banter purposes. But we'll have to see, man. Hopefully Arsenal... Don't make me regret the international break ever coming to a close by the next time I talk about this or talk about the Premier League on a podcast. You know me, people will be back again on a Monday, you know, reviewing the Premier League and stuff. So watch out for the Deluded podcast on Monday. In the meantime, check out the YouTube channel. You know, I've actually introduced YouTube memberships in which designed are giving you more exclusive content either way youtube i'm doing up the live streams i'm doing up the videos head over there now there's something for you make sure you're following me across all my socials so you're up to date people but most importantly please stay safe away from that though like i said i've got nothing more to add it's been a fantastic 45 odd minutes but i'm out of here dg i'm out <laughs>